This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 152 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Ian Reed's 2016 novel, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So this is going to be a tricky novel to talk about uh, in ways that don't spoil it. So we are going to kind of do a layered discussion here. We're going to have a general chat where we address sort of the things that you might have seen in the Netflix trailer and kind of go with uh, hoping that maybe that's all you've heard, give our general reaction to it. Uh, Then we'll move into a more significant spoiler warning uh, where we can talk about the rest of the book. Um, So if you are coming to this completely fresh, never seen or read um, the book, then uh, there's only going to be this starting section where you're sort of safe. Uh, but we'll let you know when, when we get to the part where you're not anymore. Yeah. Very, I would say a tricky, a tricky novel to talk about. Um, more more than it seems. Right. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot going on here. There's a lot of layers to this thing. And as you start to peel them back to talk about them, you're going to be revealing things that the, the joy of the story or the interest of the story is sort of uh, arriving at those organically. So um, let's first just talk about uh, our experience uh, just in general terms. What was your experience like reading this book, James? Because I'm, I'm kind of curious um, how this hit you. Right off the bat, I would say one of the most entertaining experiences I've had reading a novel for the podcast yet. I would put it up there pretty pretty easily. Um, it, it's so it's such a unique story to, for me, and it hit me in so, in so many of the right places. It's unique. It's weird. It's um, it, it's seemingly multiple different genres at different times. It's every time you feel like you have it figured out, it throws you for a loop. Um, like, and I feel like I'm a pretty observant reader. Like I feel like I can pick up on things a lot of the time, and I think the author is playing with that. I think the author is waiting for you to feel like you understand what's going on, and then kind of uh, either changing something or or maybe like um, sending you on your back foot to where you feel like you don't quite fully understand what's going on. Yeah, I mean, this is a that is a genre blender, I think, because one of the things I immediately picked up on was a very literary voice um, mm-hmm. in the writer Ian Reed um, and in the narrator. Um, that we're getting here and that's a voice I like that's something I enjoy Um, it's something I didn't really encounter until I went to college Um, it was it was sort of taught in a lot of the classes I was in the creative writing courses Um, but I fell in love with it in those courses and it's something I continue to 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 seek out and it's kind of difficult to quantify but it's one of those where you kind of know it when you read it it really is uh like you're saying, I, I remember reading uh, some of the stuff and I, I only took a couple of creative writing classes in college, but this is the kind of stuff that people were striving to write as well as mm-hmm. what we were studying. And, and um, it really is just sort of like, a uh, it's like, it, you know that it's like modern and, it, and it's the way that it frames everyday life while at the same time having it sort of have deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Now, and it's interesting because that, that voice in and of itself, I think is somewhat divisive among readers. Um, I mean, when I was researching the author, and we'll get in more to him later, one of the things I did read was that he started becoming regularly published by The New Yorker. 
and I was wow. like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> that audience would respond to this sort of writing. Yeah. This sort of voice, this sort of writing. Um, and I think there are people out there who hear that and go, oh, not for me. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, I, I, really, I really do. I, I, there, it's like it's a different mode. You have to go into it with a different mode of, uh, 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 to approach it. And I think some people just don't look for that in their, in their writing. You know, they want to be told a story and um, enjoy it. And it's kind of like, you know, seeking out a hamburger versus seeking out a filet mignon. Uh, and it's kind of reductive. But even like Stephen King has talked about this in, in some way, saying that he writes a hamburger, even though he knows that there are filet mignons out there. And the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I, I don't think either way is wrong, but I think you can enjoy both. But you Definitely. have to sort of realize that they're sort of appealing to different uh, appetites. And I think that's what I'm picking up on here. Um, because while this is literary, it is also, in my opinion, uh, a horror piece. Um, it, the horror sort of develops slowly, but, um, there were moments within this book where I felt like it was some of the creepiest writing that we've encountered. And we've Definitely, yeah. encountered a lot of creepy writing <laughs> on this podcast so far. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about specific scenes when we get there that really stood out. And, uh, I enjoyed that too. So that's another thing that if you're not really into that sort of horror mode, then you're not going to like this. Um, but if this sounds interesting to you, like a really literary take on horror, very psychological, um, and then throughout, there's also long um, sections of philosophical conversations, which I don't think is too much of a spoiler because I won't get into exactly what they're about, but there are a lot of these philosophical conversations that um, I found incredibly intriguing. I, I found them, you know, they, like they, they drew me in. I wanted to uh, engage with them and like pose counterpoints and, 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 you know, some things were great. And I was like, yeah, I really agree with that. Other things I'm like, I think that kind of misses the point. And I'm like trying to, I was like wanting to have a conversation with these people, which I thought mm -hmm. that was great. You know, it really drew me into the story. Um, so if all of that sounds good to you, then you're probably going to like this book. Uh, that would be my recommendation. We've said like now that sort of like the New Yorker audience would enjoy this and that this, but it's really sly about the way that it's literary because I do feel like it is even when we slip when we slip into these philosophical, this psychological, this existentialism, like all these things that are going on within conversation, within like flashbacks, uh, memories, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty seamless, and I would say the plot is that, like you've said, is is somewhat of a horror genre and so that that kind of on its own tends to be sort of propelled really well so it's yeah. this crazy balance of like I, very readable material to me at least and then uh having all of this extra like really he heady concepts and things that i was engaged with i agree with that i think that's a good distinction to make because you're right when i say new yorker audience um a lot of people are going to think it is going to be almost inaccessible in its sort yeah. of density or or kind of up its own nastiness. And it's not that. Um, it is very accessible. It is very readable and enjoyable, for, uh, you know, in my opinion. Um, it is just a different kind of mode of storytelling that um, there will be some people who I, I think bounce off of it. Um, I'm not one of those people. I also really enjoyed this book. Um, and I would recommend it to a lot of my friends who read horror, I think, could find this enjoyable. Um, I am going to give a content warning here in a little bit, but I'm actually going to save it for the spoiler section because the content warning itself could be a bit of a spoiler. Um, so if you are curious about the content warning, stick around maybe for that, um, but then then dip out before we get into like heavy spoilers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, like I said, it's just a tough book to kind of talk about here in, in yeah. ways. 
I guess another thing I would add is just like, you know, with with all the stuff that we're saying, you would think that this novel would be so dense and like literally very thick. Like you would think that it would be mm. such a long story, but it's not. It's very brief. It doesn't overstate its welcome. And it's like, I mean, realistically, like it's not a it's not a long book, even in comparison to a bunch of stuff we've covered on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of what makes it so readable. And I, I don't know. I just am really taken with it. This is the first time that I was reading through a story on for Ink to Film, reading through a story, finished, and then started reading it again. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't get a chance to do that yet, but I kind of want to, so I could see why you would, yeah. I didn't finish it, but I, I immediately picked it back up and started reading it again. Because it is, it's so it's short enough to where you can really dig into a lot of the things. And there, it, it is really... It's it's not dense in the way that it's hard to read, but it's dense in the, like the the subject matter and like the things that are there mm-hmm. to dig into. So I started it. I started over again, and um, I think it's really. I think like that that should be saying something. I, I recommend yeah. that people read this. It's it's definitely worth your time. Well, and I immediately picked up on. Um, I think the only other thing we've covered that has really, really hit this a similar kind of note was Dennis Johnson's Jesus His Son. Um, in that yeah. I I immediately picked up on the fact that. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the pros is doing like double, triple, quadruple duty. And um, when I say that, I mean, not only is it doing character, not only is it, is it establishing establishing setting or plot or moving the plot or, or stakes or whatever else, but it's also operating metaphorically. It's also, you know, uh, referencing something. It's all, it, it, there, there's layers of meaning even in observations being made. And I immediately picked up on that. And anytime I realize that that's the kind of writing that I'm encountering, I know that it's something that that lends itself to rereads because you're going to be able to find more and pull more out of it um, when you revisit it. Um, so it, it is it is even though it is a shorter book, you're getting a lot of value there if you think of it that way because the what you have is is so rich. Yeah, I, and I mean, you would think just just from if you heard. Oh, this is a shorter book. You would think like, oh, it must have, you know, it must have taken the author less time to write it. Mm-hmm. I think in no way is that true, because this, no. the, like you said, everything is is everything is so meticulously threaded mm-hmm. that you're, you know, it's self-referential. It's referencing like topics and things that it's that it's talking about on its own. Uh, you know, it's a horror story that kind of, I, that kind of like at at one point I felt like it was even even like questioning horror and sort of some of that kind of stuff, while not being like on the surface like breaking any sort of walls or any, like fourth walls or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like sort of, um, it's really interesting to the way that everything flows together, and then you know things will happen that reframe your how how you felt about a scene before or something like that, um, and it really keeps you guessing. And and to further what you were saying about the sort of. Um horror elements um i think they were masterfully masterfully crafted i i the the way that it builds throughout the book um is very cleverly crafted and uh the the sort of tension and anxiety and and um just the feeling of being creeped out um builds on itself i could tell that there was care being put into where the details come that put you ill at ease and the effect is cumulative, and um, I found it um, I don't know, just really compelling. So if, if that sounds yeah. interesting to you, again, um, if this sounds like the kind of book that you think you'd enjoy, um, I'm going to recommend it. Um, you know, if you've seen the movie and you are curious to hear what this book is about, that, you know, you maybe saw this movie and you're like, oh, I really want to curious what this book's about. We're going to get into that 
uh, here shortly. Um, the only other thing I can really talk about before we get into spoilers is a little bit about the author. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I actually did want to say one more thing. Um, going into this, I watched watching the trailer. I, you know, I can see, I could see that it was clearly weird and I could see that, it was, and I'm saying weird in like a loving way, like a, or weird like as a really, like a genre. Right. Um, and it seemed like that from the trailer. I didn't know anything else going into the, into the book. So to find out because it starts so, so much like a literary novel, I honestly was like starting to get surprised when it, when it leaned into horror. I didn't realize that we were get that this was a horror story, even from mm-hmm. that trailer. Um, and the other thing to say is just that like, I can totally see why Charlie Kaufman would, would take this work and want to do something with it because it's so like, I thought that we might get like a literary story that he decided to take and twist and make really interesting and, and, but it's, it's on the page as well. So he's kind of, he's kind of picking it up and I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm very much looking forward to it, but I can yeah. see why he would be like drawn to this material. Cause it does speak to like sort of his, his, uh, weird style to also. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point to make. We both haven't seen the movie yet. It is out now on Netflix. We are going to be watching it and discussing it next week, um, and we'll be making references back to this novel now. Um, I think at the also towards the end of the episode, once we're in full spoilers, I want to sort of engage in some guesses for like what he might do with the material, which I think could be kind of fun. To, I'm sure to be wrong uh, <laughs> predictions. Uh, but yeah, we can save that a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit about Ian Reed. So this is a young writer born in 1980, uh, wow. Canadian, and he won the RBC Taylor Emerging Writer Award in 2015. Uh, his sister Eliza Reed is the current First Lady of Iceland, making his brother-in-law uh, the current President of Iceland. Wow, so that's interesting. <laughs> Royalty almost. Yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it's an yeah. interesting note. Um, and then yeah, he established his writing career by publishing articles and columns in national magazines and newspapers after graduating from college. He drew the attention of the National Post, garnering a weekly column assignment. In 2015, his work began appearing in The New Yorker. Reed's first memoir is titled One Bird's Choice, A Year in the Life of an Overeducated, Underemployed, 20-something Who Moves Back Home. Was published <laughs> in 2010. And That's he awesome. followed it with uh, The Truth About Luck, What I Learned on My Road Trip with Grandma in 2013. Uh, then his debut novel is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, published in 2016. And he has since published a second novel called Foe in 2018. So this is a very new writer wow. who's really just getting started, um, which is exciting, I think. Unbelievable. This is somebody's first novel. I, yeah. I'm blown away. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he was doing writing before that, you know, publishing, he had a column publishing uh, in New Yorker and stuff. But yeah, first novel. Mm-hmm. It's definitely uh, impressive work in that, in that sense. So about this book, Reed told interviewers it took him about three years to write the book, although ideas for the story had been with him for far longer. He drew on experiences growing up on a farm in remote Ontario and traveling Canadian country roads in total darkness. Of, co- of course it took three years because I felt like it, that was the case. Maybe not, you know, I didn't know exact timetable, but like it mm-hmm. felt like it was something that was meticulously combed over time and time again. Um, and then settings from the novel as well. It seems like like things that he drew specifically drew on yeah. um, that you could probably see like the seeds of, you know, a dark, a dark Canadian, you know, pitch black road, something like that could yeah. you can draw directly in the book. For adaptation news, uh, it's I'm noting here that Foe, his second novel, has already been optioned by uh, anonymous content. That's pretty cool. I mean, if it's you know if it's anything like this, or you know if it's as heady as this, or has as much 
you know, depth to sink your teeth into. I can see why. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on this on this writer and and you know, I was taken with this book. I I also recognize that much like Annihilation that we covered, um, it's another book that I recognize is not going to be for everybody, but it was for me. <laughs> yeah. And I felt that way about this book too. I was like, this book's for me. I really like it, but I know a lot of people weren't. And then sure enough, when I read the reviews, um, there are some really hot ones and some really cold ones. So, and we can get into more reasons why um, as we as we get into the spoiler section, which I think we're about ready to start getting yeah. into. Yeah, I was just going to say that's surprising. I, I am surprised because I felt like f- I was just blown away. I, I'm surprised to hear that specifically like, you know, the reviews of critics or the reviews of just like general audiences uh, and critics and users. I would say I, I read some critics and then I saw on Goodreads right now it's sitting at about 3.5, wow. which is fairly. Middling. I mean, I guess it, it's to be it's to be expected. Some, like something like this could be pretty divisive, I guess. Yeah, and it is. And we'll, we'll talk more about it. We're about to get into the spoiler section. But before we get full spoilers, I actually want to give the content warning now, which is itself a little bit of a spoiler. So if you really don't want to hear it, go out but if you are someone who's curious about content warnings this book deals with suicide and deals with suicide in a a way that could be incredibly triggering for people i think um so i i want to warn you um if you're someone who is sensitive to that sort of thing this book could be a huge trigger for you yeah i mean it it does definitely deal with that and we we are in full spoilers now i would say this is this is the spoiler warning at this point so if yes. you haven't if you if you are curious at all in the story i would check out now uh watch it watch the movie read the book in this instance read the book and then watch the movie i would i would recommend but uh this is this is it we're gonna spoil everything so check out now we- yeah at the very least i think if you've at least seen the movie you're probably safe to get into this part you know what i mean if, right because some people aren't gonna ever read the book and that's fine we'll, right. we'll talk about it um but yeah we are gonna spoil everything um that we've that we've encountered so far i recommend the experience is what i would say like i, I recommend going and checking it out before hearing us talk about it because it's gonna it's not gonna be the same i recommend check out now go watch it go read it come back Okay, I think they're fully warned. Um, yeah, so at the end of the book, there's some uh, some cascading revelations, which I I kind of want to save, like really digging into them till the end of the book. But it's also kind of impossible to talk about the plot without it all being viewed through the prism of what is revealed. It's kind of like talking about the sixth sense and not talking about it. Like, you've seen all of The Sixth Sense, and then you're going to talk about the movie without referencing the fact that Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. Right. Um, spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler for Sixth Sense, which is a 20, 20-year-old movie. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, it's also, uh, like, the most famous movie spoiler, I feel like, at this point. Right. Like, if you ever heard one before, it's probably that one. Um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, in this book, uh, it is revealed. Now, a lot of this stuff is somewhat ambiguous, but I, I think it's safe to say it is revealed that our unnamed female narrator is actually not real or is real and that she is a thought. She is a thought of Jake who is maybe the real, I guess he's the real person. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jake's, I'm thinking of ending things throughout the book has sort of been manifested in uh, the, the narrator who is thinking about ending their relationship, but it's sort of revealed at the end. It is actually more about like, I'm thinking of killing myself. Um, the re- his relationship represents like life to him, uh, the relationship that they're having. And when he says, "I'm thinking of ending things," and he decides to end things, he decides to commit suicide. 
in my reading of it, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think the way that we're going to attempt to cover this is like, we're going to try, like Luke was saying, we're going to try to give you sort of our, what we initially thought reading through the sections. And then yeah. also after that sort of half section, we'll give you our posts knowing that uh, everything was Jake the whole time. Uh, thoughts on the situation. Um, I wanted to ask you with the title, because I know I know where I, what I, when I read the title, I'm like, okay, it's triggering something in my mind. What What was it for you? Oh, yeah, I thought it was about suicide. Okay, yeah, me too. So, so, too. but I, I assume some people are going to see it and think like, oh, it's because of the trailer and because of some other things that it could be what on the surface it seems like it is, which is like a breakup or yeah. like contemplating a breakup. Well, it, the book treats it as if that is what it's about throughout right. until you get to the end. Um, so I, I kind of came in going like, oh, I thought it was about this one thing, but now it's about this other thing. But then I also knew that like this is such a layered book that it was probably going to be both. Um, was my suspicion all along, and then that ended up becoming true. Okay, so to that end, I'm actually going to launch into plot here quickly, um, and then we can start talking about it in, in chunks. So the story is narrated by Jake's girlfriend of only a few months. They met in a pub during college trivia night, and Jake gave her his phone number by writing it on a piece of paper and slipping it to her into her bag. Several weeks later, he takes her to meet his parents on their remote farm, she has considered ending things, but has not told him yet. It is a long drive, and they engage in lengthy philosophical discussions. Okay, so that covers about a third of the book, at least, <laughs> in the opening there. That is the setup. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about it, like, initial thoughts in these sections before we knew anything about the ending. What, what did you think of these these parts? Um, like I said, these are the sections that I felt were very, like, literary. Like, it felt mm -hmm. very grounded. It felt very much like we were getting introduced to characters in universal scenarios while also posing them as metaphors and sort of, uh, you know, the idea that Jake is a scientist and he approaches things analytically and the uh, the idea that the narrator, like, the, the way that she's thinking of her life um, in a very like internal way is something that I think everyone does. Everyone who sort of like wants to engage with their own psyche is thinking of like how this affects, how what I do affects other people, how what other people do affects me and sort of like psychoanalyzing yourself. Um, and I felt like that was really interesting conversations that were brought up about that. And I mean, just the, the like, like you're buying into sort of a love story that, that I feel like is like pretty, pretty, it seemed pretty real to me, you know? Which is which is what the intention was, and you you buy into the trivia night, you buy into the way that like she's attracted to him, even though he's not conventionally like who she's been attracted to or whatever that is. She just it, it's like a, a moment that where they just click and they and they meet, and then it's the way that things the way that things play out in the plot that you're like, oh that was weird, like the oh the slip mm -hmm. of paper in the purse, oh that was weird, things like that that you don't even think about that just go by. The and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Things like that. You, you're just like, oh, the, there's a person who's constantly calling her from her own phone number. And that that I will say was like that was the first time that was the first time where I was like, OK, there's something really like really buried underneath this. And we're going to have to figure out what it is. Um, and I didn't pick up on the fact that like she's calling herself just in, in hindsight. Obviously, we know that and what that what that represents. And we're saying her, but it's really like he's talking to himself. And the voicemail that keeps getting left is. Uh, sort of a question that's being posed and and it's mm -hmm. it's vague enough to where we don't really it doesn't click yeah, it's, it's cryptic but for sure it's a question that it will eventually be answered in the way that it's actually one person sort of having an argument with themselves yeah and that's that's all getting into sort of the stuff we learn later but but surface level my my take on it this part um and it's not even surface level it's just not knowing the ending <laughs> um i i 
I th- I loved how this book initially reads like the kind of literary story which I've read before, where you are it's like a really hyper um, insightful and and tragic look at two people who are sort of um, self sabotaging, like they're 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 getting in their own ways and, and preventing themselves from finding happiness, and that's what I felt mm-hmm. like we were getting into, right? Like. Our, it felt like our narrator was like getting in her own way and like overanalyzing stuff to death and and um, causing causing a lot of this trouble. And the fact that we know that she's been thinking of ending things, you take that um, like she's been thinking about breaking up like from the get go. And then you get to her going to visit his parents and you're like, oh, this is kind of a weird situation of like she already knows this is doomed. And so even though we get a story that's kind of like a meet cute and it seems like they kind of work well together and you kind of are rooting for them. Um, it's all tinged by the sort of the, the sort of sadness of like, we know where this is headed um, a little bit. And, and, and then that's kind of, that's kind of a switch, right? Like it's kind of like, that's what you think is happening, but then there's this element of the caller. And then uh, eventually we also get introduced to these two unknown speakers who are referencing some sort of crime that has taken place. Um, that, that we don't know what they're talking about. And those two things combine to, to add like a lot of layer of creepiness. Oh, and the like night terror, weird dream of the ga- the man yeah. standing at the window slash memory of childhood. Which is where, which is where horror really came into effect. Like that's where horror really started to sort of, ha- it was haunting the story. It was mm-hmm. literally like a horrifying thing that happened. Yeah. And I was like, is this going to turn like partially true crime ish where it's like something, cause I got, we were getting the police procedural sort of like investigation thing that was going mm. on and we're getting somebody creeping in the window. And I was like, is this going to take on that? You sort mean of like crime s- fiction? Not, I wouldn't really crime call it fiction. true crime. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. True crime would be like actually something that happened. Something yeah. actually so, happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I also had like sort of a reading of the beginning of a universal scenario where people stay mm. in relationships that they know are doomed because yeah. it's more comfortable to stay in that relationship. It's more, you're, you you know, you stay with what you know, it's harder to do the different thing. And so that's like, that was my, you know, it was affecting me because I've been in a relationship like that before. And I think everyone has like, it's like, you know, it's over. She knows it's over. Uh, but it's like, you, you're in that period where it's like, lingering and like you know as i think as you grow up and have more relationships you tend to realize okay we need to cut this off a little faster but like especially like first loves and like early relationships tend to be dragged out longer and than is necessarily where longer than both people are happy yeah i mean and you could look at it that way but i think it's also sort of implied that um she doesn't know why she feels this way she just does and you so when the more she says that the more i started to think like is she sort of getting in her own way like i was saying earlier like is she sort of inventing problems because you know obviously she seems like a person who is sort of undecided on what it is she wants in life and she feels it feels like she doesn't even know if she wants to be in a relationship at all Mm -hmm. and uh going into any relationship if you're not even sure if you want to be in a couple or not I think is going to set up a scenario where you're going to start finding things that maybe aren't there. Um, and I, and I thought some of the philosophical discussions they have about like what it means to be in a relationship and what, like, is it better to be coupled versus being alone and how like marriage is such a massive institution in our, um, society, even though as they point out, many of them end up quote unquote failing, um, and that they end in divorce um, you know, and why that is and why people seek out the companionship. And I thought there were some really great um, passages in here that, that I ended up 
like writing down or looking up because I thought they were really beautifully written and interesting observations just about like human relationships and why we want certain things and what we're looking for out of each other. Um, and, and so like, I found myself definitely like thinking of past relationships and current relation, my current relationship to my wife. And like, it's something that I couldn't help, but like look at my own life through the prism of these conversations they were having. And, And that stuff I like ate up. I love that stuff. Yeah. Every, I think that's every author wants to, to, you, they want the the reader to bring anything that they can to make the f- the story more personal. You know what I mean? So like, uh, anything that they can do to sort of like trigger something in your mind to to where it is that universal feeling. I think you know that was the goal in the situation. Um, I also I also noticed how the narrator kept speaking about how everything about Jake was great. You know, great job, great person. You know thoughtful in ways and sometimes Mm -hmm. like sort of not doesn't doesn't pay the most attention but like is pretty attentive for the most part and then like you said at the same time doesn't really like just think they think they think that they're not right for each other there's there's just like like you said bringing things up for the sake of kind of questioning relationships and that's the thing like i every even in the best relationship people are questioning it and it's like and i I love the moment or the like the the line where jake i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher it a little bit but it's basically like you know a thought can't be faked and so it's like the idea that like a thought comes into your mind you can't you can't tell yourself not to have a thought like that it's gonna come no matter what and so it's just like how you interpret the thought and what it means to you and like where you end up on that we're arguing with yourself like where you end up with uh, with that sort of idea yeah no and i like that a lot i think the um i think that was one of the passages of several where i felt like the book is telling you what it's about here and when it when it was saying that like a thought is the most true thing you can have um because action is sort of viewed through memory which is which he equates with fiction um he Mm -hmm. says that all that all memory is fictional um you can only have one reality and it's like the the present and then like as soon as it passes it, it immediately moves into fiction and um that that was a part where I thought of uh, there's a short story called um, How to Tell a True War Story by Tim O'Brien that deals with some similar questions about like what it means, what it means for something to be true. Um, and I felt like we were getting that here where it was like we're talking about deep truths of life, even as we're reading a work of fiction. You know what I mean? And I think that was what it was trying to be done here. And it muddies that line of like, what does it even mean to be fiction? Because all memory is fiction. All memory, there is a storytelling element that happens anytime you try and recall something to somebody. Your mind has to fill in blanks and provide details that you actually don't really remember. You're just sort of filling in. And so that's why memory is so unreliable um, because it is, is really sort of true and we're all built on our own memories. So therefore we, we are all built on fiction, like this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I, I loved it. It was yeah. like, I don't know, speaking to me so much. Yeah. I mean, That's why stories it, are so important anyway. Right. And they can be like, like depending on who remembers it, it can be bent to be a, something that's seen as worse or better or, you know what I mean? Remembering things as worse or better. Well, sure. Or, if you ever had a conversation where you completely remember something different than somebody else, like you'll understand this. Like it's like you two, you participated in two different forms of reality, it seems right. like. And it's such yeah. a weird phenomenon because both parties are adamant that their version yeah. is correct. Yeah. Uh, I did also want to mention I have had a phone call come to my cell phone from my own number. 
I think I think they can do that. I think it it's is. Like it's there's a scam call stuff. thing. So yeah. it's one of the things I liked about it though, because it is. It was very creepy when it happened. I remember being very much like, "What the fuck?" And it was yeah. definitely a scam call um, when it happened. But I love the idea of taking that and making it into this, where it is like it, it's metaphorical, right? That the, the call is coming from self. So uh, yeah, I do. I, I like that detail. So there are a few sort of philosophical debates that they get into here that I, I at least want to touch on briefly. One of them I found really interesting was is intelligence always good or does it occasionally lead to more loneliness rather than fulfillment generate pain isolation and regret i thought this was interesting too right like that the 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 phenomenon of like overanalyzing i think this is something that's that's you can look to um i think that there is a situation where if you're blissfully unaware of something you you know you don't have to sort of grapple with some things and you can you can sort of live oblivious Mm -hmm. um and i think that's very much a thing i I was thinking about that as well like i i yearn for the days when uh and and, you know i i know that it's important and i know that like i was just very privileged but i yearn for the days when politics weren't like constantly in the forefront of my mind and it's because i was blissfully unaware and i was privileged um but, you, you know, those just the is because it creates so much tension and stress in my life and I'm constantly having to grapple with it. I think in that way, knowing more has now made it so that it's like a little harder for me to, you know, it's it's creating stress in my life. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was younger, it didn't necessarily. And uh, again, I just want to say, because I know that sounds as a very privileged stance to have. And I know that like wanting that i don't actually want it i just think about how much you know how much easier it was then but clearly there are things worth fighting for right now and i'm very much invested in those things i think you're touching on why it can be so hard to break people out of that cycle right like because people hold on to that like blissful like they, they look back at like oh i never cared about this when i was younger so i don't want to care about it now and i'm going to refuse to um yeah. so so i think that's just being honest with with you know the situation of especially of being a white person in america um yeah so, you know, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying there. So I do want to read one quote here that is all about like relationships. And um, you wouldn't think that this like horror novel, <laughs> um, you know, about so many other things would be this sort of um, observational about relationships. But it really gets into some some really interesting stuff. So I want to read this one as an example. There are many others I could read, uh, but this one in particular spoke to me. I think what I want is for someone to know me, really know me. Know me better than anyone else, and maybe even me. Isn't that why we commit to another? It's not for sex. If it were for sex, we wouldn't We wouldn't marry one person. We'd just keep finding new partners. We commit for many reasons, I know. But the more I think about it, the more I think long-term relationships are for getting to know someone. I want someone to know me, really know me, almost like that person could get into my head. What would that feel like, to have access, to know what it's like in someone else's head? to rely on someone, have him rely on you. That's not a biological connection like the one between parents and children. This kind of relationship would be chosen. It would be something cooler, harder to achieve than one built on biology and shared genetics. I think that's it. Maybe that's how we know when a relationship is real. When someone else previously unconnected to us knows us in a way we never thought or believed possible. So that quote really spoke to me because I I do think there is a large... There is a truth to that, like that that desire to be seen and understood by somebody who doesn't have to do it, <laughs> who isn't biologically yeah. connected to you, like a, a stranger who can come to know you. Because um, I'm someone who's been sort of a serial monogamous in my life, like a, I've been in a bunch of different long term relationships. Um, right. 
maybe not a bunch, but several. Um, but mm-hmm. always long term. Like I didn't do a lot of like short term stuff. And I think it's because I was chasing this sort of feeling. Like I, I, I wanted that sort of deeper, meaningful connection. And I, I found it with my wife. Um, and this this was a this was said in a way that seemed more explicit and more true than a lot of the other things I've read about it, I guess. It does. It's it's what's harder again. You know what I mean? It's the harder thing to do to get to to build a relationship. And there's so many variables that can come into play that can that can mess that up. But if you can if you can brave all of those things, then you get into a you get to a threshold where someone knows you better than you know yourself, basically. And yeah. that, you know, I think that is what people are seeking is is sort of like someone who can look at you like a mirror and say, like, these are the things that, you know, you know what I mean? And just like know what you're thinking, like look like know your faults, know your know your strengths and things like that and sort of play off them and like um, create like a mutually beneficial uh, situation for both parties, like emotionally and, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that's what that's what that really the core of what that's getting to within the book. He also provides the counter argument um, and, and is given equal weight. And that is you can't ever really know someone. It's impossible for even people who have been married their entire lives to truly know someone else's mind. You just can't do it. Um, there's always a barrier there um, because and that's where it leads to the argument about thought being the most authentic, true thing, um, because it can't be shared. As soon as you put it into words, it is being changed and sort of filtered in a way. Um, it, mm-hmm. But when it's in your mind, it is it is really true. And he puts points out anyone can think anything. And yeah, I mean, that's it's a great observation. And so like chasing it is almost chasing an impossibility. Right. And it's like, yeah. is that still worth it? Because that's the question that's being presented over and over again. Is it worth it to do that? And you know, I think we see with society that like it's worth trying. You know what I mean? Even if you don't attain oh, it. A lot of people believe so. Yeah. Okay. So let's do a little more plot here. The evening with Jake's parents turns out to be unpleasant and scary. They ask her awkward questions, and she sees unsettling things, like a picture of Jake as a child, that looks as if it could be her. During the long drive home, Jake decides to stop for, quote, something sweet at a Dairy Queen. The narrator is is exhausted and wants to get home, but reluctantly agrees. She recognizes one of the girls that works at the Dairy Queen, but can't pinpoint why. Jake then wants to dispose of the cups from their iced drinks at a nearby high school. It is snowing in the middle of the night, and the school is deserted. After disposing of the cups, he starts making out with her in the front of the school, but stops when he sees the janitor watching him from one of the windows. Furious, Jake leaves her alone in the car and enters the school building to confront him. Furious, Jake leaves her alone in the car and enters the school building to confront him. Okay, so that's a massive... That's like takes us almost to the very end but um let's talk about we got to talk about visiting the parents because i i found this section like one of the most engaging parts i think was all the stuff in the house for me yeah i mean uh super creepy you don't know what's going on you cannot figure out what's going on um and i can't i know you haven't seen this but i can't help but make the reference It, it was so it reminded me so much of get out and like okay you're just gonna call me out like that that i haven't seen get out yet uh, no, I haven't seen it yet. I need to see well, it. I, just I really need, want I, to. We've talked about it. We're, we're going to see it. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to see it eventually. But yeah. I, I, um, I just I, did, I didn't. It's not really a spoiler to say that it's from the trailer. Mm-hmm. You would you would know. So, but it, it just was very much like sort of in the same th- in the same vein of like going to see parents and and that kind yeah. of thing. Well, and and that all spoke to me too because I think all of us. It's another like hyper um, relatable story, right? Like 
first off, just going home after a long time being away, the way it dredges mm. up old bad memories, and then also like uh, bringing someone to introduce them to your parents, or being someone who's being introduced to someone's yeah. parents. Uh, all of that at, can, yeah. comes together in a way that is super relatable, but at the same time, there's so much more going on beneath the surface, uh, which we learn later. And I think something that kind of gets brought up is this idea of you going back home and you seeing your own sort of upbringing and everything through fresh eyes because you're with that person. You're sort of like thinking, what are they thinking seeing all of this? Yeah. And so you're able to like look at, you're almost able to look more objectively at like your life, where you're from, the people that you grew up with, the sort of events that you know, pictures and things like that, like take on different meanings. And it's really interesting how there is some of that being said here. Yeah. And uh, before we get into sort of looking at it from the end view vantage point, which I just changes everything. um, I just want to say there, the section where she goes into the basement, um, first off, big it vibes, um, immediately thought of, of, of Georgie going into the basement at this very beginning of it. Um, But then also like finding the painting (laughs) <laughs> and then this like sketchbooks or whatever it was that had all the different pictures that was like paintings of the basement you're standing in featuring this like weird looking like blanked face long fingernail person standing next to a child uh it's so creepy like it was one of the creepiest sections of like anything we've read yeah. so far in my opinion that yeah. that part in particular really got me I mean, that and the person standing in the window were, were yeah. definitely the two scariest parts to me. The the standing in the window thing was crazy, too, because it was like a recurring, like uh, the way that it was described after the fact, like uh, just this idea that they were always watching mm-hmm. uh, was, was really creepy. And then, yeah, get to, cut to her in the basement much later. And there's weird entities in, in, in like her parents, the parents are acting very weird. Yeah, not, the parents not have been acting really strange. Her, her mother, uh, or the mother, it is kind of accurate to say her mother, um, yeah. has been hearing voices whispering to her. And like one of the details I loved, like so many great, great details, but one of them was like the scratches from the dog um, mm-hmm. and how it looked frantic and like the dog had was not there anymore and and um i i it added the sense of dread and then the idea of it like it could be locked from beneath um and so to bring in the knowledge of the rest of the book this is one of the most interesting parts for me as far as like wanting to reread because i think there's a lot of clues here about what his life was like with his parents right. who have who have since passed away and maybe even what happened to them and 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 so on and so forth but um, you don't know that at the time you think that they are alive and you know they're just being weird um, but you know I thought like the mother was putting on appearances because she kept cha- she like changed her clothes and she was wearing heavy makeup so I was like oh she's she's the kind of person who like is hiding what's actually going on with her and like is just putting on a happy face and like that kind of stuff um, but then of course we learned later that no they're actually dead so this is like a memory of them um, and then viewed through that lens and it's also a memory of like what it was like to grow up in this house um, I think we're 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 getting insight into a very disturbing kind of dark childhood for Jake yeah. here, and I mean, and it just all loops back around to the idea of being alone because we learn that we learn that this character Jake is alone in this house where you know still dealing with the ghosts of his parents, um, yeah. and you know having to be alone and deal with that, and then sort of, uh, you know, this whole this whole relationship was was sort of like a it's not even like almost it's not even like a figment of his imagination but it kind of also is is like an argument being had at the same time yeah it's because it's it's not as simplified as like oh it's sort of like a psychological like um 
schizophrenic thing, right? It's not that's not really what's going on. It's Multiple sort of more personality like a, dissociative identity yeah. disorder, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I I, I want to save that for the very end when we get into the reveal. So I do want to talk about okay. that that part of it um, in particular. But but yes, I mean some of this stuff's going on um, for sure. So there's a couple parts here that I also want to like. There was the moment where she uh, the mother asks says let's play a game and they start and and she asks um our narrator to to imitate jake and i was so uncomfortable like i felt like it was it was just so like uh oh man it was such, it was so awful and then like he, the, he imitates her back but then like now we know what what is actually going on here but even just on the surface it was a very cringy moment because it was like this this is like clearly a terrible game to play <laughs> especially in this setting yeah and it's it, hurtful, it felt so mean-spirited you know right you know, it's like let's all laugh at at at, at Jake, um, and I, slash you could laugh tell he at was... her. Also, laugh at the narrator. It seemed like so. I felt equally, yeah, weird about that on both ends. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were so many cool ways that he would like sort of bend reality a little bit, and that was one of the things I said. Is I felt like this was a book where reality was being bent ever so slightly um, in in pursuit of chasing a deeper truth. But it's maybe even more than that <laughs> by the time we get to the end. I felt like it was it was maybe more subtle, like we were getting subtle bends in reality to get at a deeper truth. But instead, they, these are larger in my, you know, it becomes. Yeah, real. well, it, yeah, like you said, on the first initial read through, you're thinking like, oh, there's there might be sort of like an inkling of something supernatural going on. But there is in a way in, in terms of a narrative story, yeah. something supernatural going on. But it's not it's not initially what you thought it was. Yeah. And it's really and and then that's also to go back to the imposing like sense of dread that's over the entire story. You think it could potentially be monsters or scary parents or, Mm -hmm. you know, weird things going on with them when it's something much more human or, you know, much more grounded. It's so much more scary because it is something that people deal with. Yeah, I um I was at about the halfway point when I wrote down that my theory is that Jake is the same person as her. I said she has no job. She has no parents that we can see it, and she seems like a different part of of oneself, um, almost another part of the mind to Jake's sort of rationality. Um, she mm-hmm. seemed more philosophical and 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 sort of like an opposing view, arguing with itself. So I felt like her. I thought her and Jake were the same, or maybe the same person, about halfway through the book. So one of the things I want to get into, and, and as we move into this final section, is the reveal that they're the same person. And not only that, but also that I think multiple people are all wrapped up in Jake. The parents essentially are memories or maybe parts of him. Um, This janitor, this other man who stands at the window all seems to be the same person who seems to be a facet of Jake's personality. I think this, I think, I think this is the explanation for the bad ratings uh, for why some people are going to bounce really hard off of this book. Cause I, as someone who has written stories in early early days of my creative writing where there was sort of a twist ending, um, and, and certainly we, we've observed a lot of those in pop culture, I think the appetite for them has faded pretty quickly after, like, mm-hmm. Fight Club, after, after um, you know, Sixth Sense. I wouldn't say too many, just in case people haven't seen some stuff. But yeah, like those two. Okay, I mean, those are two yeah. massive ones. Right. Yeah, I won't list any others. There's a few others out there. It was it was it was sort of notable and cool when it happened, but then I think everybody kind of said like, "Okay, I've seen that now. 
let's not do mm-hmm. that again <laughs> because it, it, i think a lot of people feel like it's cheap like they feel like the, it undercuts the story they just read it's not satisfying it's sort of the it's it was all a dream uh ending yep. where it's like it, it totally t- it takes everything you thought you were reading as as reality and makes it seem like it wasn't and so i think a lot of people hit that ending in this book um which we're about to get to and um a lot of people are just going to bounce off of it yeah, I, I would say just my my own personal feelings on it. Like I understand the exhaustion of using that as a as a narrative device, but in this scenario, I don't agree for sure because because of the level of detail that's been that's been threaded into the story, and the amount of like rereadability that's in it, and like we've talked about all the philosophical elements that are being talked about because you can go back and view every single thing, and I know you can do this with every twist ending, but you can view that you can view existential psychological theoretical science like philosophy all this stuff you can view those things from two different lenses now yeah. in in those parts and so like i just think it's like the mass i think this is the best version of something like that that you can get so like yeah if you hate twist endings you might hate it all the yeah. way but i think that it's it's a better like one of the best versions of that kind of story that you're gonna get so i have another defense of it but i'm gonna save it let's let's read the final section here so we can get into like what actually happens so after a long wait in the cold car Jake's girlfriend, scared and worried, goes looking for him. She searches long corridors in the main building, then realizes she is being followed. Believing it to be the janitor, she tries to hide and quickly gets lost. Jake's girlfriend relives traumatic childhood experiences of a neighbor visiting her mother and threatening to take her away. She is terrified and wishes she had ended things with Jake. Then she remembers where the gym is, even though she has never been to the school before. She makes her way there, hoping to find a way out, but becomes confused as to who she is. She starts to physically deteriorate and is unable to see herself separate from Jake. After a while, she discovers that she and Jake are the same person. They make their way to the janitor's room and climb in the closet. Jake becomes the narrator and recalls how he wished he had given her his phone number that trivia night at the pub, but was too shy. He hoped to meet her again, but that never happened. So he wrote about her. He had to make it real. The janitor finds them in his room. He gives her a metal clothes hanger from the closet and says, quote, I'm thinking of ending things. She agrees, straightens the hanger out, and stabs herself in the neck with the sharp end. As she bleeds out, he says, a single unit back to one, me, only me, Jake, alone again so that's the big reveal and the big chase yeah yeah i do have i, I want to preface this by saying you were saying that you you kind of had figured it out halfway i i feel like i had the seeds of understanding it from the from the house with the parents and everything but i didn't i didn't really fully click into everything and how it all fell into place until they were in until she, she was the narrator was also in the gym and in, in not in the gym but in the school Okay. And then things started to fall into place. Things me. get really weird and, and reality bendy in the school. And yeah. Then, you know, there's a lot of like parts that defy logic, you know. Um, right. And, you know, she starts to like, she can't find Jake anywhere. Then the car goes missing and she like looks at the janitor at one point and then he's on the ground and he's like crawling and slithering and like things are getting really out there. Um, and then I like the little details throughout where she had been like, confusing herself you know herself for jake and different old pictures and then like she was wearing jake's slippers at one point that was one of the things that was kind of a giveaway for me um Mm -hmm. 
even though she says like oh he gave him to me or whatever but she finds his hat before she goes into the school that kind of she keeps like like yeah things that are his or her also hers in, in well the story. and then she has she keeps the way she keeps recognizing people and feeling like she knows this place and she knows these people and yeah, she knows yeah. the school and then her like memory of the janitor who cleans up stuff and then like there is a janitor there now all of a sudden it seems the, to be empathy, the same person. The, the empathy with the janitor too was another thing for me because it was like the janitor is clearly like scary and sh- she thinks that he's killed Jake at one point and yet mm-hmm. she still has the empathy to think like think about how cruel the kids are in the school and not caring about the messes they leave and what a thankless job it is. And I was kind of at that point I was like, okay, so we're dealing with like all of this is sort of just like a representation of a person. Um, the narrator is based on a character in the story that was met by Jake but it just things didn't progress further from that trivia night. So like the, the so seemingly the beginning of the story, not even the interactions at the pub at the trivia night, but the first like the the schism of reality and sort of everything that goes on with Jake is that trivia night and then, you know, from there they begin to talk and then everything else is Jake. So yeah. I just think that's interesting to have a real element within it. Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. Um so getting to this sort of twist reveal um one of the one of the defenses I, I mentioned earlier, there's a section where Jake is talking about symbols and how they hold like a deep truth and, and metaphor and how that's really important to like all storytelling and to our lives, how we see them everywhere. And I think that's another point where I've said, okay, this is the author speaking to us <laughs> about this book. And I thought like he's setting up a twist here because I could feel that we were maybe headed this direction. I didn't know what to extent, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know who was going to be like contained within, but I was starting to suspect, um, like I said, that Jake and, and the narrator were the same person. I wasn't sure. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, I'm sure it was like, maybe this is a thing. Um, and I felt like he was setting that up to say, like, when you get there, some of you are going to be angry, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I want you to, re- to also remember that this is all metaphorical and symbolic too. It's not just about, perhaps someone who has a mental disorder and we have been seeing the world through sort of a fractured mind. It is also a metaphor for our own minds and for our own um, struggles we have as people. Um, And the idea of like our, our own craving to be seen and to be understood and to pursue happiness. Um, There was, you know, an interesting part where he was talking about like, depression versus unhappiness and like what you know what is what is um healthy to have and what isn't and i don't know there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here and like not that stuff doesn't get undermined by the ending which exactly. i think is the thing that that i think a lot of people are going to feel and that's the thing that i would personally push back against and say that i don't think that it does undermine those parts right yeah and i think that goes back to some of what i was saying before with this idea of being able to look back at it through the through the other lens and think about you know, what could possibly be be being said about relationships in society as a whole. It's not even, it's not, it doesn't have to do with this one character. Like you're saying, it's a metaphor for every person, universal scenarios that every, almost everyone runs into in their lives and like how that's a representation of it. So this is also where the janitor, and he's sort of the embodiment of this creeping dread in some ways, um, arrives and hands the uh hanger to jake to kill himself and i wanted to ask you what do you think the the janitor represents and is he just a just a part of jake's own personality or is he something else 
So like, uh, yeah, this, I think this goes back to what I was saying with the, the sort of multiple personality disorder thing. Like, I, I don't know that I even, you know, I think, I think there is enough evidence there to say like, that's sort of what's going on in the story. But when mm-hmm. I was reading it, even once I finished it, I don't know that I necessarily even thought of the story that way. Or if I kind of just thought it as somebody who was dealing with depression, dealing with loneliness, dealing with all the things that were talked about in the story up to that point. And it's sort of just a, a like a manifestation of that rather than it being like full on split personality, like multiple personality disorder. Um, and so like, I don't know that, like, I think metaphorically he could represent like his depression or his like, his like he, he may represent the actual actionable sort of part of him that that is like going to be the thing that kills him whereas like the conversations being had by two parties one that's saying i'm thinking about doing it and one that's saying like but what about life mm-hmm. and then he kind of just represents the end of that like he like he's a part of him that's like once the decision's made like yeah. i'll execute i'll be the one to make sure that we go the we as the as jake will go through with this yeah and it's interesting because when we get the descriptions of what jake is like in his life it seems to be a blend between the jake character and then this janitor character right because jake works as this janitor um so in some ways like this is this is like closer to maybe what jake is really like um to me he was the darkest elements of his psyche um manifested and i think this is the sort of trauma that is hinted at of from childhood um, this is the suicidal ideation. This is like the darkest elements and they are manifest and hand him the, the sort of utensil. So it's, it's well, interesting it, because there, it almost feels like this book is glorifying suicide in a way. Um, but I think it is, it is just actually an incredibly tragic ending. Um, I, yeah. I, I didn't think this was something that we, we don't, I don't think we should agree and I don't think we do agree with, um, what Jake decides to do at the end, um, because mm-hmm. the ultimate question is revealed to be whether or not to go on. And it's said that this is the question that all living people are asking themselves every moment of every day. Do I continue or do I let it stop? And he decides here to let it stop. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think it's glorification. I think it's, I think it's a representation of what I think it's, it's for us to empathize with people who are going through things mm-hmm. that we maybe are not. And it's like the like the I you know the lingering the the man in the window every night or whatever that's depression you know what I mean yeah like, well that's why it's so creepy right always like, there. always there yeah exactly watching so you, like yeah. I don't I definitely don't think this is saying like yeah. suicide is something to I mean be, he's, you know, he's, yeah. he's literally chased him into a closet and he's hiding from him so right. I I think this is the villain of this book this is the antagonist this is the the evil manifested. Um, so yeah, in that sense, I don't think it does, but I, I think there are people who could read this and say that it does. Um, I, I can see that reading. And so I, I'm just trying to understand like where some of these negative, um, reviews are coming from and some of the ne- negative reception does, you know, it's just my theory. I've only read some and, and they touch on some different things. One thing I did see that I thought was interesting. Hannah Pittard wrote in a review for the New York times that she felt the novels quote bait and switch tactic interspacing Jake and girlfriend narrative with a commentary between two strangers about an unspecified tragedy to be too gimmicky. She also felt that Reed's story was a little too non-diegetic and the narrator withholds too much from the reader. Petard expressed her disappointment at the book's big reveal at the end, saying it too hastily disposes of unexplained and unnecessary red herrings and the revelation is at once too tidy and too convenient to be satisfying. Um, so that was one of the, the, the negative ones. I'll read one of the positive ones, too, just to provide the sort of back and forth. 
Um, in the Chicago Tribune, Lloyd Sachs described, I'm thinking of ending things as the boldest and most original literary thr thriller to appear in some time. He called Reed a master of tension and that despite the book's philosophic weight, he pulls it off. Sachs recommended rereading the book, saying that with its deep enigmas and dense psychological space, the characters uh, are traveling through, it remains as full of dark surprises as your friendly neighborhood black hole. So <laughs> you get there are both sides of this, right? Like people who found it gimmicky and got frustrated, and then there are people who who are talking about some of the things that we were talking about. I, I think we're we kind of agree more with the former. It seems like yeah, the latter, right? The last one you read. Yes, the latter. <laughs> Thank you. The one, I, the last one I read. Uh, I mean, and I understand that it's a subjective thing. You know, like people mm -hmm. are going to feel differently about it, and maybe, you know, it's it just like reading it at the wrong time, or maybe you've read too many of these stories. Like I, I don't know. It, for me, it just it landed, it landed really, really positive. Yeah, I agree with that. One one uh, sort of device that's used that I really liked was the uh, the mother handing her the portrait and saying. Look at this when you arrive. I think something like that is said. Mm -hmm. And then I, it was sort of the uh, this outstanding, you know, Chekhov's gun kind of deal where it's like you knew it was going to come back at the end. And it does. And it, and it does in sort of this moment of revelation where it's a portrait of her, but it's her and it shows that she is a piece of Jake and that they're all sort of the same person. Um, I thought that was cleverly set up and the execution um, really landed for me, and, and it, 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 again, it all comes together and reveals this this cool twist. I mean, I, I wonder, like, do you think that it's like M Night Shyamalan and like some weird? Because like, I feel like a lot of people have just started to associate this sort of ending with him, and they've gotten really tired of it, and so they, it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's like we're almost we're almost hypersensitive to a point where, like, yeah. as soon as you feel like you've been duped in some way, you're like, God damn it, it's another M Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> yeah. So this is how I feel about it. I think. Obviously, M. Night Shyamalan was was a master of doing this, and yeah. I think people, yeah, did get did get sick of it. Sixth Sense is generally a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it, I think that people did get sick of it, but I I like I like there was a there was a movie that came out called The Visit that is kind of like M. Night Shyamalan returning to like yes, some twists and turns and that kind of thing. But I, I think I enjoyed that Shyamalan movie because it was sort of a return to his his usual plot twist and i think that like the you know the ending plot twist being his sort of trademark is is definitely detrimental to his career because if if i think you get you get one or two right and then it becomes like sort of your thing mm -hmm. it'd be like if if um imagine ryan johnson continued to only direct like whodunit mystery movies for the yeah. rest of his career you know yeah. like I, I think like as a filmmaker you want to sort of try to, i know people have styles and things they lean into but like narratively change change up what he's doing and i think if he had done that a little more through his career people would look a lot more fondly on some of his movies and i do agree that like like as time went on he the movies weren't quite as good in in, in addition to the fact that they were twist ending so yeah you know. that didn't help one other question that comes and it's it's sort of um front-loaded with this horrific metaphor that we get where they talk about these pigs who were like sick and then come to find out they actually had like maggots in them which is yeah. super gross um and then they had to be sort of put down and then there was this thought of like what if because at first it's like well you have to put them down because to live on like that is like an excruciating agony and then you have to release it and then there's this thought of like what if it doesn't get better what if what if you don't escape that in death. And then the book revisits that at the end 
where it yeah. even says like, what if this isn't an escape? So to me, this is a truly tragic novel in that sense too, because like even, even the suicide that is, that takes place is openly said like this might not even have been an escape for Jake. He might be forever trapped with this darkness. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's the, the scariest thing, right? The unknown. Yeah. It's, and, th- it's, and that's why it's truly kind of a horror novel in my opinion, <laughs> right? Solidly yeah. horror. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the, so there's a scene like after where the investigators are sort of, they've found and they're finally wrapping it all up. And if it wasn't clear to people mm-hmm. at the, during the chapter with Jake and everything that happened, the investigators spell it out and they're like, this is what happened in this novel. <laughs> like they're like, yeah, look, here's, here's even, do you think that the, the, the story that was written is pretty, pretty closely what we experience as the readers, what he's been, he's been writing? writing these journals there that are found right. with him. Yeah. I, I think that's the implication. Uh, yeah. You know, that's the, that's what, what I would understand that to be. Although what we're reading includes these conversations, so it can't right. be one for one. It has to be. Yeah, some it's sort not of exact, but sort of all the Jake stuff could potentially be. You know, yeah, you could almost argue it's like Ian Reed found all the materials later and then he took these conversations <laughs> and he put them all together and he put out this book. It's he oh my God, it's it. a found footage. It's a found, <laughs> found, found literary, found literary, <laughs> found literary story. novel. That's funny. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of, like, more philosophical stuff we could get into. Um, I, I assume we're going to revisit some of this stuff with, with the movie, you know, because I'm, I'm, some of this has got to make it on the screen. Um, so maybe we'll be able to circle back and talk about certain things. Um, I did want to ask you before we end, <laughs> what do we think Charlie Kaufman is going to do with this story? Because I, I want to remind everybody, this is the man who made Adaptation, which I know we haven't covered yet on the podcast, but it is all about the sort of futility and and challenge <laughs> and 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 just maddening nature of trying to adapt a book into a movie and it, that book goes wild places in, in pursuit of this idea and that i'm sorry that film does well the movie um, yeah yeah and then so now i'm looking at this and going like okay now kaufman's going to try and adapt this book he's got to change stuff right like uh, that's yeah. my I, guess. I, I don't I think in no way are we going to see things play out one like in in the same way. I don't think it's possible. And I don't think it's really it's not Kaufman's style, really. I don't right. think that's really he's he's a very like we've like with an adaptation. You can see how he feels about adaptation. And I think you can sort of like break into his as an artist, like adapting a work how he feels about it. So it's going to be really interesting. Like once we cover adaptation, which is sort of an outstanding thing we'll eventually do. We've talked about with with the, we've been talking about it since the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With the, with, from the beginning, we've been talking about how cool that would be. Um, So, but I mean, Kaufman's such an amazing filmmaker, very unique voice. He does things that are always unexpected. So to try, I think it's futile to try to predict what he's going to do, but my prediction would be that it's not going to be what's exactly in the book. Okay. So I'll, I'll go a little further in my prediction. I think because I, I guess I wasn't expecting this novel to sort of give us the answers it gave us. I thought one of the reasons it was because I saw the lower Goodread scores on there pretty early on. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what, what's going on with that. And I thought the reason was going to be that we were going to be left with a completely ambiguous ending. And um, Ian Reed says that he intended the ending to be ambiguous. I, I'd be curious to know what he means by that. Um, but for me, I was surprised we got the answers we did. Uh, um, and I think that it's going to be more ambiguous in Kaufman's version. Yeah. I think yeah. it, it, we are well, going to get less evidence that it was definitely the same person, that the janitor wasn't an actual separate entity. I think a lot of these are going to be more open questions in the film. That's that's my guess, and that it's going to be more of that like bent reality to, to sort of uh, get at a deeper truth 
Um, but when you start asking like what actually happened, it's going to be very difficult to pin it down. I mean, you're, you're looking at the mediums now. We're looking at the mediums like we've talked about yeah. countless times. How this is such an internal story, and how do you tell internal stories in film without having it without it being a full on narrative like narration film? Um, is it's all visual, so like it's going to be fully up to it's like it's like interpreting a painting. That's what I feel like this coffin film is going to be like. It's going to be looking at something, and it's going to be up to us to sort of understand and and see what's going on, which you know I appreciate in in a lot of films. So yeah, uh, it's going to be one of those situations where it's a lot of interpretation. Yeah, is, is, like you're saying, I, I think that's that's to your point. Yeah, it's like, you know, I think, you know, it's funny because like modern art gets like a really bad rap. I feel like a lot of people shit on it. They're like it is it, sort of equated to bad art. Um, and mm-hmm. I just disagree with that. Um, I, it's just different, right? Like it, it's, it, it's, bl- it's that's highly, a blanket statement, too. Yeah, it's highly know? interpretive. And yeah, of course, that's also just a huge generalization. There's big variety in what that means. Um, but a lot of, a lot of, you know, there, there are certain kinds of art that are all about impressions and about seeking out deeper meanings and bringing yourself to the work. Like the person who's viewing it views a lot of it. And I think we're going to get more of that in the film. I agree. Like, I think there's going to be more interpretation. There's going to be more things that are open for interpretation and, um, probably a lot of confusion out there. Um, but one of the other cool things is that you can, I think the book probably provides a lot of answers. So um, maybe if you've seen the movie and, and, uh, and you come back and you listen to this, maybe this is helping you in some ways put, put some pieces together. Again, we don't know for certain. We haven't seen it yet, but we will be back next week to watch that film and discuss it. Um, I'm really excited about this. I'm a big fan Can't of wait. Charlie Kaufman, um, and yeah. I, I'm really interested to see what he does with this material for sure. Yeah, I can't wait. I like like I said, I had so much fun with this. This is one of my favorite books that we've read for the podcast. Nice. Just as a f- this initial experience, I've really loved and like to s- so now to know that like the adaptation is in the hands of somebody like Charlie Kaufman, I can't wait to see. Yeah. All right. So, uh if you liked this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast uh, app or YouTube or whatever else. Uh, maybe like, leave a comment, something like that. Let us know that you enjoyed it. We love to hear from people, and that's a great way to do it. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. We also have a Council of Inklings as a Facebook group. It's where we post polls, all sorts of adaptation news, anything that's coming up that we think could be relevant to the podcast we try to post in there. And if you'd like to support this podcast even more, uh, go to patreon.com slash ink to film and you can, for a very small amount of uh, uh, pledge, you can get bonus content on there. We have like 26, 27 episodes now, um, all sorts of bonus content on there, other tiers with different variety of rewards. So check that out if you were thinking about uh, pitching in a little bit. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.